0: Good morning, church family. Happy New Year. I'll be reading from Luke chapter 2. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived.
1: Thank you, Alex. If you have your Bible, I'm going to pull a switcheroo. Turn to Matthew chapter 2. If we have uh, Luke 2's, Luke's story of uh, Christmas story, I want to look this morning at Matthew's Christmas story in Matthew chapter 2. And having Alex read that gives us a little bit of a point of contrast to what both gospel writers are doing I want you to know that <clears throat> I'm revisiting the allergies; they're being replayed over again. I got to thinking, how could we possibly avoid the ongoing on and off again replay of the allergies? And I think the way we can do that is we can build a wall on the Oklahoma-Texas border. <laughs> I, I hear, I hear, I hear it's Texas, uh, West Texas red cedars, and uh, so. But we shouldn't probably do that. That would actually be a waste of probably money, but nonetheless, you know, I forgot to welcome our folks who are gathering with us online this morning. So we say welcome to you. Thank you for being with us this morning. And I'm going to ask you if you'd pray with me. Lord God, help us hear what you are saying to us when we see storylines replayed or on repeat in the scriptures. And when we hear what you say and see what you do, form us to do the same by your Spirit. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our Redeemer, and all God's people say. Amen. If Luke gives us the shepherd story, Matthew gives us the Magi. Breaking in and into verse number 13, hear the difference in the two stories. The one you heard Alex read, where the shepherds responded to the good news. Hear what is going on in Matthew's telling. Now after they had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night, and went to Egypt And remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Out of Egypt I have called my son. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated. And he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under. According to the time that he had learned from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing and loud lamentations, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled because they are no more. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who were seeking the child's life are dead. And Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And after being warned in a dream, he went away to the district of Galilee, and there he made his home in a town called Nazareth, so that what had been spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled. He will be called a Nazarene. I, I want to know, I, any of you Yellowstone fans, that series that's been on now for a while, Kevin Costner making a huge comeback? You know, they said he really couldn't act, and now they say he finally may have found his uh, calling in Yellowstone. I don't really know anything about it. I just know there have been advertisements on the TV that if you've missed it, you can start over at season one this past weekend. Just put it on record and you can watch them all. You can catch them. I think it ends today. Replaying the entire seasons, however many are out, of Yellowstone. I I think we actually may at some point have put that on the the record list on the, the DVR, but we've not watched one single episode. But you know, when Thanksgiving and Christmas roll around, when that starts, if you're paying, if you, well, maybe you don't watch much TV. We don't watch a lot of TV, but we, we do, from time to time, kind of scroll through the guide. What is on? Usually nothing. Good, anyway. But from time to time, what we find is we find these movies being replayed. I mean, uh, sometime around Thanksgiving, it it seems for some reason the appropriate time to have a, a bond weekend. Every James Bond movie from the first to the very last runs for days, it seems like. 007 reincarnated four times, if you're keeping track of how many bonds there have been. Or, or maybe, maybe you saw what was going on. Someone had decided to take a, the Lord of the Rings trilogy and replay that for a few days. It was on. We actually happened to watch two of them. It was on so often that, that we, had, we had some time and we, we watched the first and second. Didn't have time for the third, it went off. But they're replaying these. In fact, in fact, most cable networks have a stable of shows that they replay annually. Sometimes more frequently than that, but they they replay them over and over and over again. Replay on repeat. Uh, one of the series that, that happened to be on recently was the Matrix series. I know you all watched that one with great anticipation probably not maybe two or three of you but anyway it came out in 1999 and it's it's really a a, a believe it or not it's kind of this really deep yeah i'm going to say it it's this deep exploration between the themes of free will and determinism are human beings really free or is everything already determined and in the in the you know <coughs> crazy fight scenes and and slow bullets and all of that that goes along with it, the writers are really trying to work out how much of what we do and, and what's done around us is, is really our choice and, and how much of it is not. And So uh, the main character, Neo, played by Keanu Reeves, he, he has decided that he wants to know how far does this whole free will determinism thing go? Now, they don't tell you that. You just have to watch it and see what's going on. But Morpheus sits down with Neo and he says, you can kind of just keep going the way way, way things have been going or you can see how far down the hole this idea of choice or determinism goes. In fact, if you're a Christian and been one any amount of time, you have that same question from time to time. How free are we? What's already determined or predetermined? Who knew that some philosophers were going to put a movie script together spanning four shows to say, well, it may work or it may not, maybe this or it may not be. There was no conclusion, but when Neo's trying to figure it out, he's walking into this old hotel and he, he's walking up with the, the group that has kind of persuaded him to, to try it out and see how far it goes. And he passes this this one area, and and as he's climbing the staircase, he he looks at this opening, and there's a black cat that uh, walks across this opening, and there's this tapestry, and he just kind of pays, you know, okay, black cat, kind of notices it. And then, I mean, within like 60 seconds, as he's making it around again, it has this similar looking, it's kind of a spiral staircase, every floor kind of looks a little bit the same, and there was another black cat uh, walking exactly the same place in the same way. And he said, Well, that was weird. And Morpheus, who has persuaded him to chase it down the rabbit hole, says, Was it the same cat? Like, come on, you black cats are black cats, right? What do you mean? Well, what Neo learns is that when a deja vu happened, when something is on repeat, it means that there's a problem. It's a warning sign. Odd introduction, isn't it, to Matthew? But this sort of thing should get our attention when we see something on repeat in the Scriptures. And we should ask ourselves the question, is this a good thing or is it a warning? Which is it? In the Christian calendar, it's still Christmas. So if you're like me and you haven't taken your tree down, you have until the 6th of January. That's the day of Epiphany that marks the next season. And so when we look at the Luke story laid side by side to the Matthew story, there are some things we notice. We break into that story and Herod discovers that the Magi have played him, tricked him, the text says. He becomes infuriated. Fear grips him. Anger overwhelms him. Herod fears that he might be replaced as king. And in his fit of rage... He orders the death of all male children, two years and younger, in and around Jerusalem, all the way to Bethlehem. Is this a second black cat? Is this a a warning signal? Well, why, you ask? Well, some 1,500 years before, 1,500 years or so before this event, there was a king who came to Egypt The Exodus records it this way, there arose a Pharaoh who knew not Joseph, that is, he didn't know the past, he didn't know the history, he didn't quite understand how all these Israelites, they weren't yet, by the way, but how all these Israelites had populated such in the land of Goshen. And when he looked out and saw saw this sea of people, some thinking marking maybe a million, They were very prosperous in Egypt. He feared, that is, Pharaoh feared, what would happen one day if those people we were oppressing realized that there's more of them than there are of us? And what would happen if the more of them than there are of us decide to take over In just the same way that that Pharaoh replaced the previous dynasty, he was worried that history would repeat itself, that maybe Israel would rise up, that group of people who sought safety in the midst of famine, given a place because of Joseph in the land of Goshen, might turn the tables. And so in the same way that Herod expressed his fear of being replaced, Pharaoh too sought a plan what can i do to minimize the possibility that i will lose my place he went to the israel israeli the jewish midwives shifra and puah and he says here's what i want you to do when they call you in to deliver these babies if you determine that it is a male child you are to kill the child if it's a female child, you let it live. And so they, being faithful people, decided we're not going to do that. And when it, Pharaoh realized what had happened, when he realized that they weren't doing what he said and the fear still fueled him, he said, I'll tell you what, I'm going to find out why you have disobeyed me. And you I mean, may know this story. Here are these midwives. Hey, these women give birth so fast. By the time we're there, the babies are already born. So in his fury, in his rage, fearing he might be replaced one day by the throng of Jewish people in the land of Goshen, he decided to have all the male children two years and under killed. Two years and under thrown into the Nile." Is it a black hat? It sounds like it's a repeat, doesn't it? Here Pharaoh kills all the male children two years and under, and here Herod, both of them fueled by their fears of being replaced, they're going to lose their power, they're going to lose their control, they're going to lose and lose big, or so they think. And So they do something terrible. And here's something we should recognize. When we are ruled by our fears, we all are subject to doing terrible things. When fears rule us, we are always susceptible to the temptation to do something terrible. Now, if you think that these are just two coincidental events in the history of uh, Israel people or Jewish people, one 1,500 years apart from the other, don't forget that there is a story somewhere, somewhere in the middle of that. You've read the book of Esther, maybe. Haman had plans to completely rid the world of Jews. He had worked, he had, he had uh, concocted a plan, and he was sure that it was going to be successful he wanted to scapegoat all the Jews for all the problems and he too wanted to destroy those who might be in the way of his power who might replace him in a sphere of influence the stories of Pharaoh and Haman and Herod are all scalable you know what scalable means, right? I mean, so I, I, um, one of my jobs when I was in the fifth grade was walking uh, little Michael. Well, he was actually bigger than me. Uh, he was a kindergartner. Uh, he lived down the street, and uh, Mike and I went to the same school. I know it's weird, but that's Oklahoma City Schools in the 1970s. Uh, if you were in the first grade or the fifth grade, you went to the same fifth-year center, and my school was over by the Capitol, uh, Lincoln, L, Lincoln Fifth Year Center. And so I went in the fifth grade, and, and Michael went to kindergarten. And it was my job to walk Michael to the, bus, to the bus stop. And every Friday, every Friday, Mr. Brown would reward me with a model airplane. He loved to make model airplanes, but he would reward me with a model airplane and so I learned how to make model airplanes. And if you've ever done that, if you've ever seen them, on the front of the box, it says scale. And what it's telling you is, is that big Boeing airplane that you've got in the box, what you're going to put together is not that big. It's been scaled down. And when we hear stories of Pharaohs and Hamans and Herods, we start thinking that only powerful people are susceptible to being ruled by their fears, fears of being replaced. But being ruled by our fears is scalable, which means you and I, not Pharaohs, we're not Hamans, and we're not Herods, we don't have that sort of power or place, but we too can be ruled by our fears. And maybe we're not going to scapegoat an entire ethnic population, but we will find someone to scapegoat our fears. This idea of being replaced, it has a history, by the way. I mean, the, the idea of a replacement theory is, is what fueled the Holocaust. This is not the only thing, but the idea that the Jewish people might have more power, they might have more abilities, they might have more money, they became a prime scapegoated people for Nazis. They were the problem. Our country would be better, our country would be greater. And the fear was we might be replaced. Millions murdered. Because people were afraid they might be replaced. You think, you think well, okay, that, that happened in you know, the 1930s and early 40s. We're beyond that, right? Hmm. Replacement theory is the same theory that fueled Jim Crow, the Jim Crow South. Where black people in our country were scapegoated as to be the problem. The idea of being replaced and there's a great fear that someone is going to get what we have and so that replacement theory fueled lots of hangings even till more recent periods than you and i ever imagined that that happened in the 60s in the maybe early 70s it doesn't happen anymore except except there's a rise of replacement theory by fringe groups in our country. And what are they afraid of? They're afraid of being replaced. They're afraid of being replaced. We are all worried we're going to be replaced by somebody else. It's a fear that is a deep reservoir. Someone is going to get what I have and I'm fearing that I'm going to be replaced. This idea of anti-Semitism that's Sweeping the fringe groups in our country, and even, even some, some of our congressional folks, which is crazy as I'll get out some of our celebrities are mouthpiecing that sordid, terrible idea It is actually a worldwide phenomenon. It's an occasion to find someone to scapegoat why we might be losing something. Fear drives us. Still, and we look for someone to blame. And If we're going to pay attention to the storylines in the Bible, if we're going to look for black cats' warnings in the Scriptures, when we see this repeated, we ought to be paying attention, right? If we see at least three times in the history of Israel that they were the targets of people afraid of being replaced, we probably should look at it and go, Ooh, that's a warning sign. People do terrible things when ruled by fear. Could I? Could I do something terrible if I were to let fear rule my decisions? You see, we march into a new year here on the first day of the new year with a decision. What sort of replayed storylines do we want to participate in? What shows do we want to put on repeat? What sort of instances do we want to call back to? Those that should be warning signs of the great danger of what human beings are capable of? Or is there a different storyline that we want to see on repeat? I have become enamored of Joseph's character a bit this particular Advent season. Because it, it seems to me Joseph, who seems to be a, um, uh, one of those quiet, silent, yet very stalwart types, happens to be one of the first illustrations of grace in the Christmas stories about Jesus. He, he doesn't need a bully pulpit. He just shows his character. And, and God's response, God's response to Our tendency to tap into the deep reservoir of fear that results in our anger and our fury is to say to you and to me, to all of us, fear not. Stop being afraid. I so wish that from time to time we would translate things in the scriptures with the force that is there. It's not like a suggestion, "Uh, you 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 might just not want to be afraid oh, you know, I think maybe it'd be really healthy for you if you just didn't fear. The force of the text is stop being afraid. I understand why many of us are. We have created a vision of God of which we should be afraid. That God is waiting to smite us. Jim Carrey helped us, right? Oh, mighty smiter. We've got this picture. But every time we find in Scripture the occasion where human beings are startled by what's going on, and they are wrapped and racked by fear, the words they hear from God's messenger is, fear not. Fear not. He says to Joseph, who has the perfect occasion to think he might be replaced, Right? Well, you remember the story, don't you? He finds out that his soon-to-be uh, married, uh, engaged uh, young lady is pregnant. Isn't that sort of, uh, of an inclination that maybe I've been replaced? Maybe, Maybe I'm being replaced. And instead of throwing all the babies two years and under in the Nile, or chasing all over Jerusalem or Bethlehem for the culprit, what does Joseph determine to do? I'm not going to make an embarrassment of her. That's grace. I, I'm not going to draw attention to what she's done. I think we mentioned it maybe last week as kind of an aside, a footnote, if you will, but number 6 said that she should have gone through this terrible ordeal to be exposed for her infidelity. Joseph wasn't even having any of that. He said no to that. And yes to grace. He didn't want her embarrassed, nor did he want the embarrassment of those silent whispers. Oh, that poor fellow. Why couldn't he see this coming? He knew what kind of girl she was. wanting to avoid... Embarrassment for her and embarrassment for him. Still aware that something had happened that replaced him. What does the messenger from God say to him? Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I mean, again, how would Joseph not feel <laughs> like he was being replaced. Frankly, like he had already been replaced. Yet he hears the words. The storyline on repeat, the the storyline that accompanies every black cat warning story in the scriptures, the one that we ought to probably decide that we want to replay and see replayed every day of this new year is a different story. But, but there, is, there is something that we need to be aware of. We don't want to just look for Pharaohs and Haman's and Herod's. We understand the scalability of those who are ruled by their fears, but we do need to be alert to the fact that there are powers, forces at work looking to lure us in to that sort of action. I mean, you have to admit Um, reading the revelation of Jesus Christ, the last book in your New Testament. It's not the revelations, by the way. It's the revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is a singular story to say, here is God's response to the reservoir of fear that produces human anger and fury at one another. It is the revelation. and In chapter 12, in this fantasy novel-like writing, John writes, then the dragon stood before the woman who was about to bear a child so that he might devour her child as soon it was, as it was born. Does that not sound like Pharaoh saying to Shiphrah and Pua? as those babies are being born, determine if they're male or female, and if they're male, devour them? Does that not sound like the same or is it just like some sort of pastoral kind of machination making it up along the way. This is, this is the underlying story. John is saying the world is full of people who are waiting to devour the promise. That is to get rid of it. So for those who have ears to hear, for those of us with ears to hear, John uses This imagery to call back to the likes of the Pharaohs and the Herods and the Hamans and anyone who would choose power over people. Anyone who out of their fear would choose power over people. The message? What's the message? Those who choose power over people are at cross purposes with the God who chose to be God with us in his own freedom. Here we are always worried about our freedom. Are we free? Are we determined? And maybe, maybe this story is about what God did in God's own freedom. And what God did in God's own freedom was determined to be God with us. Christ is born, we sang. Christ is born, we sang. God is with us. That was what God determined to do for a people steeped in fear, fearful of being replaced, fueling their anger and their fury at other human beings. In other words, the dragon in Revelation 12 is a stand-in for the powers of sin and death of hell and Satan and the grave. All those forces that show up and make war against the love that is God. The storyline, the storyline we find repeated, is scalable up, not just down. If, if we can think about how we don't have to be Pharaohs and Hamans and Herods, we also can recognize that in the same small ways, in out-of-the-way places, for people who don't matter to the rest of the world much, we can scale up what it looks like to bear witness to the love of God. Of God. That is to say, we can opt for a different story that drives us, the one that includes God's response, fear not. That's the story we want on replay. And every single time that we read in the scriptures a story where fear seems to be winning the day, there is always a story of mercy and grace right behind it. Every single time. William Hendrickson was right. If you don't get anything else out of the revelation of Jesus Christ, the last book in your New Testament, the one on the far right side of the Bible, the message is clear. Jesus wins. And he defeats our fears, overcomes our anger and our fury, because God, in God's freedom, determined to be with us, with you. Not just for us, but with us. So when we hear, fear not, it is not a platitude. It is a recognition that the Spirit of God is with us. Fear not. John continues in that scene in Revelation 12, and she gave birth to a son, a male child who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was snatched away and taken to God and to his throne. Do you get the fantastic imagery, the fantasy scene, the red dragon, they're prepared to extinguish the promise of God, and yet the story is God rescues Matthew tells us in his story of Christmas that Joseph had been warned in a dream to escape to Egypt. The red dragon was there, ready to consume the child. Escape to Egypt. Do you not get irony? The very place where the story of liberation originated, they are told to go there. And it would be heard as, God's got you. Fear not. Fear not for whatever might come in 2023, because God has you. God is with you. There is no need to fear. The God who chose to be God with us is the God with us when the reservoir of fear tempts us. When we fear being replaced We hear the good news of God's grace that it is God's free choice to love, to rescue, and to give us grace. You and I, we may worry about our choices, but we should be considerate of God's choice. And when God chooses to be God with you, that's a great choice. Amen? Come on, Baptists, get your amen working. God's at work in each of the stories we fear where fear seems to have the power. Miriam is ready when Pharaoh's daughter discovers Moses floating in a mini ark. Esther is prepared when it seems no one can stop Haman's diabolical plan. And when it would seem Herod had all the power to wipe out any threat, Joseph protected his family, whisking them away to safety. What we can't avoid in Matthew's Christmas story is the foreshadowing of Jesus' own death. For he will return to Jerusalem and in his death, he will put to death all of our fears, all of our fury. Because what does the scripture say? Perfect love casts out fear. So Jesus went to the seed of recognized power, Jerusalem. And he took its full fury and force. And he put it to death in his own what we fear sometimes are the changes wrought by Jesus. The idea that we, we're so accustomed to fearing, we're not sure what to do when we stop fearing. That's the surprise with the children. There's some things that are surprises, or great surprises, and some are surprises that, well, you know, uh, we really hate to hear about, but then there are the surprises that force us to do something different. And when we hear the words, fear not, it challenges us to do something different than what we're accustomed to. It's this story of grace that we want on replay. I've decided if I'm going to err ever standing in this place, if I'm going to make any mistake, I'm going to make a mistake emphasizing grace till you get it. We resist it so much. So, if it's all the same to you, we'll have 52 Sundays of grace. In 2023, because the words that come to us in the midst of our fear, our anger, and our fury are stop being afraid. Because God, in His own freedom, chose to love you, and in that love, He has given you the full and complete absolution of all your sins, past, present, and future, and has invited you into a life that looks like life with Him. There is, hear me. There is no need to wait on eternity. When God is with us, it has already begun. Paul wrote these words, and we'll finish. He was trying to encourage and comfort Christians in Asia Minor. And maybe it's a good one for any new year. Just as he, being God, chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love, he destined us for adoption as his children. His children. God's choice of Jesus is God's choice of us. Grace over fear is the storyline that we want to be replayed over and over again on every channel represented by every person in this room. Would you pray with me?